Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Welcome to Sword and Shield Podcast. I'm Colonel Rick Erich, 960 Cyberspace Wing Commander, and today I have a guest with me from the 688th. He's the uh, Wing Commander there, Colonel Jim Hewitt. Welcome, Jim. Hey, thanks, Rick. Yeah, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Even uh, amid what's going on in the world right now, it's it's good to maybe talk about some other things. Yeah, absolutely. So today we want to talk a little bit about our relationship and and your journey, and we're doing a leadership series here, so I think it's really interesting. We've been able to forge a relationship together, um, partnership through mission, and then um, just just growing a friendship as well through golf. And so our passion there for sports and stuff, it's been fun to get to know you. Yeah, absolutely. Even though you're a Giants fan, I don't try not to hold that against <laughs> you. And, and you whoop me on the uh, golf course every time. But yeah. Well, great. yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, you are America's first cyber wing. And so we, we give a nod to you. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. I know there's some internal fun rivalry with that, but it's, it's exciting to see what the 6088th has, has become. Um, I've not watched it from the inception at the beginning, but, but certainly where you've taken it, we're really excited to be a mission partner with you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to be back um, part of the wing. Um, you know, getting up an opportunity to command in the squad and the wing, um, one of the squadrons, and then get to you know, come back. I joke a lot about how, you know, squadron commanders, you know, you, you gripe with your fellow squadron commanders about, man, if I was in charge, <laughs> you know, this is what I would do. And then, you know, a couple of years go by and you blink your eyes and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. I get to, I get to change some of that stuff that I used to gripe yeah. about. So you're that guy now. Right. Yeah. You're absolutely. them. That's what I tell people. We're now the them. Right. We, we got to fix the things that we said and we complained about. I know all of a sudden you wake up and you're like the old guy in the room. So. <laughs> it happens fast for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blink of an eye there. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. Um, you started out enlisting and, and why, why the air force for you? So, um, so my parents divorced when I was about six months old and I, I didn't really have a relationship with my dad. He, they divorced when he joined the air force and then he, his first station was in Guam and then I lost contact with him and I, I didn't really talk to him. I fast forward a bunch of years. I go to San Diego State, um, kind of directionless, and went there. Uh, fell out of love with what I thought I was going to major in, and was kind of drifting. And so I, I had, you know, always known that my dad was in the Air Force, and in the back of my mind, and I, I went, I, I need to do something. And so I went down to the recruiter, and I realized, you know, I was going to have to work probably two jobs in order to pay tuition and live and, and go to school to do something that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And sure. it just seemed dumb. So I went to the recruiter and I said, Hey man, like how fast can I join the air force? And what, and, and he said, well, I don't know what job do you want to do? And I said, what is, what's going to get me out of here the fastest? Okay. And he said, I've got a job called information manager. It's amazing. You can do anything you want <laughs> with it. And I said, hey, sweet. How fast? Sounds good. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, Two weeks, we can get you to the maps. We can get you out of here. Wow. So, uh, so off I went, and that's how it began. And I was a information manager. My my first job, I show up at at Davis Monthan um, in the TMO flight, which I was essentially the secretary for the 
for the flight commander, this chief. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there you go. It was, uh, my first day at work was, uh, the day that Clinton was inaugurated in 92. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a memory there too. That's yeah. fast. Two weeks from yeah. partying college student, trying to figure yeah. out where he's at to something with a very specific direction and you're all in. Yeah. Yeah. It was quick. That's interesting uh, about crossing paths. Like I was at DM and you know, we talked about this before. Yeah. We were at DM at the same time, didn't know each other ever, but yeah. who knows maybe cross paths. Back yeah. Then. So I did a year, um, I did a year in the TMO flight. Uh, and then I moved up to the uh, logistics group. Um, and I was working in the front office there. And there was a, um, one of the squadron commanders in the building, the logistics readiness squadron commander, uh, a guy named Bill McGill. I, I won't ever forget him. He, he calls me into his office one day and, and I, I dealt with him because I was a front office guy, admin guy, you know, so you see the commanders all the time. He calls me into his office and he's like, hey, are you going to school? And I said, no, nah, I did a year at San Diego State, but I, I'm not going to school right now. And he's like, hey, you should really think about going to school and pursuing a commissioning program. And I had no idea what he was talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I didn't do anything about it. A couple months later, he corners me again. He's like, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, Hey, I'm just working, sir. This goes on for six or seven months where he's just <laughs> pestering me and pestering me. And so finally I went to the education office and I like started going back to school and started this long, you know, process. Cause back then without internet school, like you're actually sure. sitting brick and mortar in class it takes forever. Yeah. Um, so I just started plugging away one class at a time. And, and uh, but I, you know, I look back on him and he's the one that kind of kept hassling me and like, you know, sort of saw something in me and started sure. pushing me. And then, uh, fast forward several years later, I'd already PCS to, to Peterson. Um, I ended up getting picked up. That was a long process too. a couple of boards, um, not on my first board, you know, so I had to be persistent and keep yeah. going. And then, so he's hassling me in like the 1993 timeframe. Um, 98 is when I finally got commissioned. I called him up, had him come. He was already retired. Called okay. him up, had him come back to Montgomery and commission me. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah, that persistence is important. We all have people in our lives, I think, that we cross paths with that want to be um, that mentor. And like, certainly you didn't seek him out, right? Mm-hmm. He called you. He saw something in you. And, and I kind of feel like that's that's our role, too, is try to help people. And when you find those people that that maybe need that extra push that we, we find a way to do that and get them in, their, in the right place and they may not see it themselves either yeah but but it, it's it's worth really pushing them and getting them there and obviously in your position you have a ton of airmen across the board and and you interact with people of course all over the place so yeah it is, it's really interesting um your story there and then you become an officer and then um yeah so um so i end up at little rock which is pretty funny because um, when I was in OTS and the assignments drop and everybody's, you know, everybody's like, Oh wow, you're going to Arkansas. That's awful. <laughs> actually turned out to be probably the best assignment, you know, that I've had. Um, obviously I met Linda there. I met my wife, so can't complain about that. No. <laughs> um, but you know, as a Lieutenant, you meet some of your best friends that you're going to have kind of the rest of your career and just an amazing group of, of, guys and girls there that, that I was fortunate enough to be stationed with. And we've been friends for forever. Um, they're all long retired now, so <laughs> <laughs> still around, but, uh, but yeah, it was a, that was a great experience. 
And, you know, I got to run the base network. Um, I got to run postal. I got to run flight line systems. I got to run the telephone switch. Like I got to run everything. That Experience was, at all. Yeah. I, I, I spent three years there. got to run multiple flights. It was, it was a really fun experience you know, at a different time when there weren't enough lieutenants to go around. Sure. And so, you know, you had second lieutenants running flights, which was, which was pretty fun in a, in a bigger squadron. Um, and then left there and went to work for NATO for three years and got to learn like all about, you know, how to be a good coalition partner and how to get along and um, what the true purpose of NATO is, which is, uh, you know, kind of timely in the events that are going on today, which Absolutely. is um, despite your Despite your personal feelings about, you know, folks that wear different uniforms, you know, when when stuff goes down, y'all stick together, you're all on the same team and, and y'all got each other's backs. And so really that's kind of the true purpose of NATO. It was never um, to go over there and, you know, modernize the network and, and do a bunch of things that we would do like in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. It's really just to build those bonds and, okay. and to be a good mission partner with, you know, with our coalition partners. So Yeah, I never got a chance <clears throat> to do that other than a deployed um, fashion, but um, I find it just pretty exciting from your your college student a few years prior. Now you're in Europe, yeah. representing the United States of America to an organization that is responsible for you know the freedom of the Western world. Yeah. You know, it's that's pretty exciting and it was uh, fun. really fun, especially as lieutenant and captain. I mean, I, I had a ton of time, I had a ton of fun too, building those relationships and people you stay in touch with today, lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exciting, and, and then. And now you're here as a wing commander and thrust. I know you came out of the Pentagon and thrust into the wing commander in very tumultuous, um, exciting. I don't know what other words you want to use. Um, <laughs> maybe maddening, harrowing, financial. I mean, right. Crisis after crisis after crisis. And 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 the wing is in a transformation when you show up. Like, what's your thought process as you come into a new job like that? And we're thinking about where you want to take it. And I'm always fascinated by, by the regaf folks who every two years, right? You know when you're in, you know when you're out, and you're coming in. And, and how do you handle what the previous guy or gal was doing? And then how you take that, leverage it, and move on mm-hmm. to, to build the future and get after priorities change, strategy. You know, things constantly change. And how do you, how do you continue to keep the wing moving in the right direction transformation-wise? So... You, you know, I've always had a great relationship with Steve, you know, my predecessor at Canyon. Um, and so as he started thinking about this journey of transforming the wing, um, him and I had a lot of a lot of talks about it. Um, and this goes back to, you know, my earlier comment about, you know, things that you always um, frustrated you when you were a squadron commander, you now have an opportunity to to impact and change. Sure. And so. I was really excited about the transformation that the wing was undergoing before I ever found out that I was going to be part of the wing. Um, and then, you know, so part of the things that always frustrated me is that you had multiple squadrons within the wing that had the exact same mission set. And so when there were large problems that happened on the network, um, at a base, everybody is trying to solve it and so you know essentially everybody's running around on the field with no you know not running an organized play sure and and that's not a knock on anybody that's not a negative you know comment about anybody it's just hey everybody wants to solve the problem so everybody's going 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 
part of this transformation is, you know, not only um, lifting some of the burden off of the squadron commanders, which, which I'll touch on in a second, but shifting the mission work around to the squadrons so that each squadron owns a particular piece of the mission, right? And so you don't have, you know, four squadrons operating the same weapon system on the same terrain doing the same job, right? Now you've got one squadron that focuses on one thing, like storage and virtualization or network management or uh, directory services, and they own that piece of the mission. They're responsible for it. They can they can modernize it, they can improve processes, they can troubleshoot, and they don't have anybody else that's in there mucking things up trying to, you know, trying to solve problems. And so from a from a, a mission owner perspective, from a customer service perspective, from a user experience perspective, I think this is going to go a long way. So I'm really excited about that change. We call it centers of excellence, but essentially making a squadron a center of excellence for whatever their assigned mission happens to be. Now, you know, what gets the most uh, interest uh, across um, our community is is the implementation of the A staff. And so, um, because a lot of people don't understand it. And essentially, what we're trying to do is operationalize a wing staff. And so, and then to put us in line with our joint partners. So, you know, having a standard A1, A23, A46, A589, having that structure in our wing staff, one of the things that that always um, took a lot of my time as a squadron commander was I spent about half my time dealing with the programmatics of the weapon system. So dealing with the PMO, um, dealing with um, modernization, engineering, funding priorities, uh, instead of actually running the squadron, right? right? Trying to improve culture, trying to make things better, just because Nobody knew the weapon system better than the squadron itself. And so now we're lifting that burden off of the squadron commander and we're putting it on an O6's shoulders as the A5. And so now you have an O6 at the eight wing A5 who's dealing with the O6 at the PMO, who's dealing with the O6 at the lead command, who's dealing with the O6 on the air staff. He's putting all of those, you know, all of that expertise together, uh, you know, as O6s kind of do, they sure. sort of build teams and work to solve problems and try to keep the momentum going forward. Um, that's what we're doing now. At the same time that O6, who's the A5, he's also a group commander. He's also the 26 cyberspace operations group commander. So he's dual hatted. The focus of his day job is the A5, A9, right? And so he's taking all of that lift off of the squadron commander. Um, also, the A23, now we have 106 who's synchronizing all the operations across the wing. And so where that happened before when I was in the wing was at the wing commander. Sure. Because you had 106 who was in charge of security operations, 106 who was in charge of network operations. And essentially, that group is just one big squadron. When you have four squadrons that run the same weapon system, that 06 <laughs> is running a squadron and he's got four flights. Yeah. And that's, that's all that was. And so now you have that 06 who's synchronizing operations across all of the security operations and network operations squadrons, timing, tempo. We've got an A35 who's, who's pushing, out, uh, pushing out orders. We've got an A33 who's keeping track of everything that's going on as far as current ops goes. One single point of entry into the wing across all of the squadrons. Um, that's our situational awareness cell uh, taking direction from the OC. Uh, we've seen a ton of benefits. 
another benefit that comes out of it is that um, when we push officers out of the wing, they now understand the A staff structure. So when they go to a joint position, they're on par with their army counterparts because they've now lived it and experienced it. They're fluent in joint planning. So they know the process, they know the job process. They know what a 33 does. They know what a 35 does. They know what a 53 does. They know what a 589 does. Yeah, it's been a knock on the Air Force for a long time that that we're, we're, we struggle, at least even on the reserve side, we struggle getting people even hired into joint jobs because they don't have the experiences that, you know, yeah. in most cases the Army has, just the way they're organized. Yeah. And so that's exciting to me too. And so, you know, we're, we're taking a little bit of that benefit as well, trying to understand that, participate in those in those forms and processes and, and building this thing too. So, yeah. And so, so people looked at us like we were crazy. I know that when I first got into the seat, everybody was like, Hey, is he going to roll it back? <laughs> is he going to say, this is dumb. And we're going to go back to just having groups. That's natural, right? I mean, right. Right. Everybody wanted to know what I was going to do. Um, but fortunately, you know, Comac is, he's on board with this as you know, there have been several wings across ACC that have, um, kind of been doing their own experiment with a different form of this. Each each one has a different form uh, of implementing an A staff. And then, you know, Comac took this brief to, to Corona in the fall of 2021, and the chief slapped the table and said, hey, this is the way we're going to go across the Air Force. ACC, you have the lead, move out. And uh, and so we're not so crazy anymore. We, yeah. have, we actually happen to be, you know, trendsetters because we're pretty far ahead of everybody else. Yeah. And so it's been a lot of pain, I bet, though, just from trying to shift people's mindsets and getting the the rest of the Air Force around you has 60 years of institutional knowledge of doing yeah. things one way and, and continue to try to. And I think the, the word that comes to mind for me is persistence again. Right. Persist, continue to discover, continue to educate. I know you've done a great job with educating just internal to your wing and externally too, because we see some of that as well. I tell my people to join your town halls, like we need to understand that mm -hmm. as well as you transform because we need to be supportive as mission partner and, and you know, be a force multiplier and help you get there because we see it as well that it's gonna be really widely successful and we wanna participate as part of that and help move things forward. And it shifts, it really has helped my squadrons to shift focus on operations instead of how we fit in. Right. Instead of like, hey, how are we going to organize to support them now? It's like, hey, they're all operations we're in. We just want to be there to, to be additional mm -hmm. support and capacity for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so going forward here, um, what's the next year? Almost half on that. Not quite halfway, but another year or so. Right. So what what's the focus from here to the end of Jim Hew Hewitt's tour? I think I think the big thing that we have to do. Um, I don't want to say we're operating in a state of limbo. We've declared IOC for this transformation of the wing. Um, I want to get us to FOC. I want to get OCRs in. I want to get them signed and approved. I want to formalize this structure um, on the UMD so that when I leave and, and hand the guide on to my successor, that this is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. We're not having town halls to talk about what the future of the change is going to look like and why we're doing it. It just is who we are and that's how we operate. And so when they walk in, they don't, they don't know anything different. Right? I think that'd be significant. You think about the way air force sometimes takes some government takes mm -hmm. long time to change. If you can do it in a span of two wing command tours, less than four years and have that next person roll in and 
everybody's operating with yeah. the same understanding. I mean, I think that would be really, really huge. Yeah. It's certainly moving forward too with dealing with the way we're, we're 16th Air Force is going and IW and how we fit in. And, and it's really exciting for us. So we want to, we want to organize and shift as well to support that yeah. and make sure, you know, we're, we're there for what you need when you need us, whether yeah. that's in a surge capacity for, you know, crisis operations or whether that's steady state, um, having some deliberate planning for you all. So where do you, where do you see the reserve fitting in or even that just the arc and where can we, where can we help and where do we need to focus? Um, you know, as I, as I go and I visit all of the units across the wing in all the different places, um, I, it's the change from when I left the wing as a squadron commander to now is pretty remarkable because there are always the associate units, the reserve units that are tied to the active duty units in all of the immersions. Like I can't tell who's who, I can't tell the difference. Um, so the partnership between the active duty squadrons and our reserve component is, uh, is pretty readily apparent. Um, as we continue to, to transform, um, you know, just continuing fostering that partnership, um, looking at how, looking at new and innovative ways, um, that we can expand, um, and integrate you all into what we're doing. Um, some of the work that we're doing in the, in the Athens SOC now to, to try to expand and, and to get after defending those underdefended areas of the Athen that we haven't traditionally been focused. I think that's going to be huge, um, on how we can leverage some of the expertise and capacity that, you know, that you all have in the 960th. Yeah. I think we, we have to do a better job of making that access for you simpler, cleaner, more seamless right now. It's really clunky. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's like, usually our answer is, Hey, MPA got MPA. Like <laughs> that's hard right now in both our worlds trying to find mandates. And so we got to make that access simple. We're working on a project to, um, have your organizations have a, a group of people kind of rotational, always there for you. And then they're yours. You use them all you need them. you put it against, um, whatever needs to be fixed at the time, whether that's a long-term problem or it's a crisis. And I think our, our, our folks have really taken to it saying, Hey, this is, this is, I can tell my employer, you know, when I'm going to be gone, it's predictable. Well, right now it's really, you know, we're starting to make phone calls now based on what's going on in the world about, Hey, who's available. We're starting to see the demand signal come in and that's really hard for anybody to plan. Mm -hmm. And so we want to be able to be your um, partner of choice and have access to us, you know, when you need us have, have some surge and just have people there all the time really available. And I think the other thing for us is I think about a lot is how do I take somebody in industry? It's got a very unique skill or maybe they work for a specific company that, that you maybe need some help with understanding the technology or implementing it, like understanding where our people are and that you say, Hey, I need somebody at company X because we're having difficulty or we want to test something. Or we just want to understand it. Like give you one of reservists that work there to, not do inside, you know, internal yeah. stuff, but just understand the technology. Maybe you're trying to implement something, make it smoother for you, or maybe it's something you're trying to explore and that we can offer that industry expertise that you maybe don't have readily available mm -hmm. just based on, you know, people working in the, in, in the field. So, yeah, that's kind of the way I think about how we can help you and kind of move forward, but we're all in, I think from, from our perspective, at least from my specifically, I'm watching this thing kind of unfold from, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the back, I'm the third, third string quarterback <laughs> waiting to say, waiting for the call, but 
we're watching this thing and I'm really proud of the way it's it's moving out and the way it's going. And as I hear and listen to things, wander around squadrons as well and talk to my units, it's all super positive. There's a little bit of anxiety, which is normal with culture change, I think. <clears throat> Frankly, I think that's fine, right? It kind of puts people on edge, makes people think. Mm-hmm. And 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 I know your folks have been really good about offering, um, getting us involved with that and helping shape and formulate what that looks like in the future and going forward. So we really appreciate the partnership there and we look to grow as we go forward. What you need, just keep those comms open and yeah. you know, the next Rick's and the next gym, we gotta be able to, you know, yeah. have that relationship and continue to grow that. 16th Air Force, from my perspective, has really helped that bringing us in the fold mm-hmm. as as a regular partner, and so it's helped that build that relationship going forward. So Absolutely. excited about what that looks like in the future. And um, so, any other thoughts? No, I just hey, I, I really same here. Really appreciate the partnership. Um, it's been uh, you know it's been great to get to know you in the time that you know that I've been here. Um, and I know that our, our units and our squadron commanders out there really appreciate the partnership with, uh, you know, with their uh, reserve component squadron partners. So. Yeah, I think it's exciting. You know, when I when I got here and we started talking, um, I was talking to Chris Howard. He's like, oh, yeah, Colonel Hewitt, he lives across the street from me. And then I talked to Keith Whitehead. They're like, yeah, he used to beat, my, he used to beat me up in tennis all the time. <laughs> like, so we're just one big Air Force. Pretty we much. just have all taken, you know, different paths to, to get yeah. where we are based on whatever's going on in our life. And so. Um, you know, it's great to be able to continue to cross paths with people and, and yeah. be good partners. Absolutely. And get after what we need to get after as a as an Air Force. So yeah. Well, thanks again. I appreciate your time. Yeah, and, thanks uh, for having me. And until we meet again, we'll see you around. All right. Thanks. All right. Appreciate thanks. it. See ya.